Thank you again for making the time to join Jay Fuller Interviews. My name is Jeff Fuller, Jay Fuller Interviews. You can certainly subscribe on YouTube, join the Facebook group. We're also on Instagram and Twitter as Jay Fuller Interviews and also posting the content from this to our podcast channel, The Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller Interviews on YouTube and um, I'm sorry, on Google and Apple Podcasts as well. But joining us now, because people's stories make our story much better, less ignorant, and certainly more impactful is Mike Rouse. Mike, how are you? I'm great. How are you this morning, Jeff? I'm doing excellent. Thanks so much for making the time to join and uh, be a part. I just want to jump right to it. And I understand you had surgery recently. And so we just keep you in our thoughts and prayers. But you are, you are a runner. Have you been able to run the past few days since your surgery? <clears throat> you know, to be honest, the... Worst part of my eye surgery, uh, obviously, was the eye the eye situation. But uh, was but number two was not being able to run. Um, I you know this is like the I don't know probably the three hundred tenth day of the year yeah. of twenty twenty, and I've probably done well. I say probably I know I've done over six hundred runs this year. So over averaging about two a day. Sometimes I do three a day. Um, but I haven't been able to run for the last ten days, and it's killing me to not get out on the roads and uh and do my thing but you know what uh it'll, it'll come back uh the doctor told me on wednesday that i'll be able to start running next monday so i'll, I'll be back on it oh good and behind me there's a picture of you uh qualifying and running the uh, boston marathon for you where did that take place in your running was that one of the early marathons you completed or talk to me a little bit about the boston marathon and your participation well, actually, my first marathon was in 1987. Uh, I've done 261 marathons. Wow. Uh, I've done Boston 18 times. The picture that you're showing was uh, 2013, uh, the year of the bombing, yeah. right afterwards. Um, cool. And uh, that was my uh, 17th time to do Boston. And I did it again in 2014, uh, the year after the bombing, when Meb won. Uh, and uh, so that was my 18th the, in 2014. But I, I, I've, I've loved doing that sh that race. I, I go every year working in the running industry. I get to go every year and work the expo. So uh, I've always kind of looked at it. If I'm, if I'm there, I might as well do the run. So, And Mike, behind you is a picture of, a, uh, uh, the, um, of uh, the flag. And um, I first heard you on the um, trying to get it in there better. Yeah, the Team Never Quit podcast with uh, Marcus Luttrell, of course, the movie Lone Survivor based on his life. And uh, some of the listeners know or are aware of my story of my cousin being killed in Ramadi uh, in 2005 and just so devastating for our family. What led you to participate in those runs specifically for the fallen soldiers? Well, Jeff, in 2002, uh, I was in my running group. I lived in San Diego at the time. Uh, uh, Mizuno had hired me and moved me out there back in 1998. So in 2002, I'm down at Ski Beach in San Diego with my running group. There were probably the top 10 or 12 uh, runners in San Diego for men and top 10 or 12 uh, women runners in San Diego. All met at this, this uh, same place every Saturday morning for a, a workouts. And so this one particular Saturday morning in 2002, these two big guys showed up. They were about 6'3", 6'4", 220, 230 pounds all tatted up and I, I went over to the coach and I said, Hey, Kevin, who, who are these two big guys? You know, cause most of us are, you know, anywhere from five, eight to six foot tall, 130, 140, 50 pounds, slim, thin runner type bodies. 
uh, the lady is obviously even smaller than that. But and here are these two big six foot three, six foot four, two hundred twenty pound guys running around uh, doing the warm up. And I said, uh, you know, coach, who who are these two guys? And he said, oh, it's a couple of Navy SEALs. They they're training for a marathon and they wanted to come join our group. We'll make a long story short. They became very dear friends of mine, and we ran. I ran that first marathon with them in two thousand and two. Uh, the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon, and and we became lifelong friends. And uh, one of them's name was JT. I won't say the other guy's name. He's still active duty. And so, uh, in fact, he's just came back from Afghanistan about a month ago. But uh, but JT uh, was one of the two guys, and uh, we became very very close. He was in his twenties, Navy SEAL. Uh, at the time, he was on Team Five. He later became SEAL Team Six. Um, and fast forward to 2011, he was actually killed in Afghanistan uh, on a mission called Extortion 17 with 30 other guys. Um, and so I started running in their honor, uh, put together a race series called Jogging for Frogmen. Hmm. And uh, that picture you're showing now was on day 31. Uh, this is back in May of, of this year. So the month of May has 31 days, kind of synonymous, synonymous with 31 guys, right? And so I ran 31 miles each day, 31 miles for 31 days to honor 31 heroes. And each day I ran in a shirt that honored that one particular guy. Uh, and i kind of felt like they were sitting on my shoulder uh, that entire day, kind of encouraging me. And, you know, obviously after day one, day two is it led into the month. Uh, each day got a little bit harder and tougher. Uh, my body was starting to get really tired, really beat up. Uh, but I knew I had to endure and finish it. So uh, the, the picture you're showing with me carrying the flag was the last mile uh, of that 31 mile day on May 31st. And again, Mike Rouse makes some time on Instagram, Mike Rouse S run Texas. And uh, talk to me a little bit. I noticed on your uh, biography, it said that you're the former owner founder of run Texas of which you did run Texas. Could you just talk <laughs> about how that all began? <clears throat> well, again, I started running, uh, actually, uh, I won't get into that whole story yet, but <laughs> I started running in 1986 and got into the running industry in 1987 and just had, I had this real passion and love for running and I had the idea that I was going to someday own my own running store and as things would, would work out, you know, I, I didn't know how to do that. And so I started working in a running store there in Dallas, Texas called Luke's Locker worked there for several years, then got on the wholesale side, worked for Brooks and Mizuno and, and several other companies, became national sales manager, a couple, but the whole thing had to do with, I wanted to own my own running store someday. And so when I came back to Texas in 2016, I said, you know what? I'm not getting any younger. Uh, if I'm ever going to do it, I need to do it now. And so in 2017, I opened up my own running store called run Texas. And, uh, that that's my, my, uh, Instagram title is Mike Rouse's Run Texas. Hmm. It was kind of my store Instagram page. Uh, and I had that for almost three years and then decided to retire and close it and sell it. So I did that and moved on. And now I'm fully retired, although I do still work in the running industry as a consultant. And so I just want to move on. Behind me is a picture with uh, the brothers, uh, the Latrells, the Never Quit uh, Team Never Quit podcast is where I first heard you. And on there, um, I was just reminded of a good friend of mine that he just ran on his own 60K because he just wanted to do that. He ran a 50K, just he designed his own course earlier, and this is in Vermont, so there is some elevation. 
but he just wanted to. And I said, why do you push yourself to run these races? You don't even get a free t-shirt from your registration. And he said, well, Jeff used to be overweight. And uh, now instead of eating, I've kind of poured all my energy into running. Uh, could you just share as you did from that team never quit podcast about what led you into running as you found yourself, um, addicted to something else earlier? Well, uh, yeah, I kind of alluded to it earlier, uh, Jeff, and I said, you know, I'll save it for later, but, uh, I went through a pretty, uh, hurtful divorce for me back in, in 1982. Uh, my wife and I, uh, had two kids and we went our separate ways and I kind of lost track of everything at that time. Uh, I've been married since I was 19. I was now 30 years old. So for 11 years I was married uh, and, and I really didn't know how to handle it very well. And so I got back, uh, I, I grew up playing golf, high school, college uh, golf. And so I got back into golf a lot. Now that I'm single, I've got time. Uh, and, I, and I, to be honest with you, I got in with the wrong group of people uh, in some respects and started using drugs and drinking very heavily. Uh, and after about six months, I've developed a severe cocaine habit and, uh, carried that on for three years, 1985, I was actually arrested, charged with conspiracy to possess cocaine and, uh, ended up getting a five-year prison sentence of which I spent 14 months in prison. And so on January the 16th, two weeks into my incarceration, I realized that this is not how I wanted to live the rest of my life. And so I went out on the yard one day during my time out of my cell and saw guys running around the exterior of the yard and thought, you know, I, I've been an athlete involved in athletics through my golf uh, all my life. And so I, I think I must just start running while I'm incarcerated and and uh, and get my health back and get, get my mind straight. And I fell in love with running, just running around a prison yard. Uh, for how far, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but how far was that distance around the yard to begin? Well, two and a half, it was just a, there wasn't a track. It was just, you know, guys doing it so often, they just worn all the grass out. So it was about two feet wide of just solid dirt. Um, but if you, if you ran around the exterior of the yard, uh, it was about two and a half laps to a mile. So two and a half times around the yard was one mile. So when I first started, uh, one of the guys told me that. And so I, I ran five laps to make it two miles. And uh, that first time, I'll never forget it. I, I, I couldn't even do it. I literally, I literally would run half of a lap and have to walk because my heart was racing so fast and my legs weren't, you know, weren't ready for it. So I would run as far as I could. Then I'd walk until I felt like I could run again. And I would just continually run, walk, run, walk, run, walk. And finally, uh, uh, you know, I don't remember the exact time, but probably a month later, I was able, able to do the five laps without stopping. And then by the time I left 14 months later, I was running uh, a full hour. Uh, every day. I just go out on the yard and my hour on the yard was, was all about the run. And that was up to about five or six miles. So what um, were you thinking about when you were running? Was it just, I mean, I assume like you couldn't have earbuds or any music in your ears as no. you were in prison. Were you just thinking about past regrets or was it just a mind freeing experience for you? Well, number one, it was, it was totally without anything. And in fact, I've run now for 33 years, uh, 34 years. Um, I've 135,000 miles I've logged. I've never heard one single song during a run. I've never used earphones. 
to me, it's all about the experience, the nature thinking, uh, just, you know, I don't know, just zoning out, I guess you could say. So obviously in prison, I didn't have that stuff anyway, but for me, running is about how, how my body feels. Uh, sometimes it aches. Sometimes it just feels great, uh, but it's exhilarating. It just, it just feels wonderful. And so I've never seen anything about running other than just the purity of the sport. The fact that I can walk out of my house, I don't need equipment. I don't need somebody else. All I need is a pair of running shoes and running shorts, and I can go out my door and go run. I can travel. It's very simple. You know, you're in a hotel. You don't need a bike. You don't need a swimming pool. You don't need a tennis racket. You don't need golf clubs. All you need is your running shoes. And so even in all my travels, I'm able to run and fulfill my dream. How old are you, Mike? I'm 68. I turned 68 about 30 days ago. And so I understand that you do something uh, special on each birthday. Could you just share with the listeners what that is? Yeah. So I started back when I was 34, uh, right after I'd gotten out of prison. Uh, my birthday came along about, uh, I got out in February of 87. And, uh, and so in, in October of 87, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do something really special to celebrate being out of prison, celebrate my freedom. And I'm going to do it by running my age. So at the age of 34, I ran 34 miles as my first uh, ultra run, I guess you could say. And ever since then, that's just kind of a tradition. Uh, I run my age on my birthday in miles. So this past October, about five weeks ago, I ran 68 miles to celebrate being 68. So behind me, there's a picture of the uh, Team Never Quit podcast uh, guys and all of that. And you shared there a story that uh, maybe don't share now, but there's one aspect of it. My dad grew up on the farm and he's very aware of bag bomb. And any time that he gets a cut or something <laughs> happens, he always tells me not Vaseline, not another uh, different type of ointment, but he says use bag bomb. Yes. And so uh, people can listen to that uh, podcast, Team Never Quit, to hear that specific story. But I want to just hear... You retell the story of, I believe it was a hundred mile run and you were a mile and a half in and you fell and what happened to your kneecap? So Jeff, in, in, uh, 2012, on the first anniversary, uh, of the extortion 17 accident where they were shot down and those 31 men were killed, a couple of Navy SEAL wives and I put together a race called jogging for frogmen and I had decided that I was going to do this to honor JT. And then these two ladies came to me and said, Hey, we want to put together a 5k to honor these 31 guys. Would you help us? And so they're in San Diego. We put, we, we worked for about eight months to put together uh, this race called jogging for frogmen. So I started on Friday morning at eight o'clock and ran for 24 straight hours to honor those 31 guys. And each, each lap of that, uh, it was a 5k race, 3.1 miles. So it's kind of synonymous with the numbers, right? 31, yeah. 3.1. So I would run that 3.1 mile course over and over and over again. And each, each loop, I would wear a shirt in honor of each one of those guys yeah. for 3.1 miles. So we did it in 2012. We raised several thousand dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars for the Navy SEAL Foundation. And it became a tradition. So annually, we would uh, do this race. So in 2014, the third year of, of this race, uh, I, I was going out and I was going to do my 3.1 mile loops over and over and over 31 times, just like I did every year. So I'm on the very first loop started at eight o'clock 
it like 8 10 8 15 that morning i'm halfway through the very first loop of 31 3.1 mile uh, loops and i've got five friends running with me and we're talking we're having a good time and just you know catching up the whole thing and i trip over a crack in the sidewalk uh as i'm looking over my shoulder talking to somebody i don't see this and it's, it's like a one inch uh i say crack but it's like a one inch uh, separation in the sidewalk yeah. where a tree root had gone under and pushed the concrete up so i hit it with my right big toe and i immediately went down to my left knee and when i did it just i mean it was a direct blow to my kneecap and we heard this crack and i didn't think anything about it i've, I've done a lot of trail ultras and i've tripped and sprained my ankle and fallen and scraped my knee and you know a mile later you forget about it and you you know everything goes back to normal <clears throat> so i assume that's what this would be that I would, you know, I'd walk it off and, and within, you know, five or 10 minutes, the, the pain in my left knee would go away. <clears throat> but one of the per people with me was an, actually a nurse, uh, an orthopedic nurse. And she said, Rousey, I think you cracked or fractured your left knee when you hit. Mm. And I said, no, I don't think so. I think it's just, I think it's just like a hot spot. And she said, well, I, I heard a pretty serious crack. So I, I, I walked for about 200 yards and said, okay, let's, let's run. I'm ready to run. And when we started, I mean, literally within two steps, I could tell my knee was not going to handle this. It was, it was like somebody was hitting me with a sledgehammer. So I walked, you know, I walked that next mile back to my changing station, finished that first 3.1 mile loop. I changed my shirt and I said, do we have anything I can wrap my knee with? And the only thing we had was duct tape. So we literally just wrapped my knee as tight as we could with duct tape to keep it stiff, you know, so that it, I wouldn't bend it, wouldn't fall on it. And I literally could not run even with the duct tape. All I could do was race walk, but I race walked for the next 23 and a half hours and finished, uh, the 31 loops of 3.1 miles. And on Monday morning, I called my orthopedic surgeon and I said, Hey, Roger, I, I, I fell down and hurt my knee. He says, come on in. I'll take a look at it. So I went in, he, he did an x-ray and says, you know what? We need to do an MRI. The x-ray doesn't really show much. It shows that there's a, a slight uh, fracture in there, but I can't really tell. So he does an MRI and he says, you know, Mike, you fractured, you completely split your kneecap in two. Wow. And he said, you did that 24 hour run on Friday, right? And I said, yeah. And he says, how far in, into it did this happen? And I said, a mile and a half. He said, oh, so you just had to walk the last mile and a half. And I said, no, I'm saying a mile and a half into it. Yeah. I had to go 95 miles on that. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, you walk 95 miles on a fractured knee. That is insane. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> uh, why didn't you quit? You know, one of the reasons why I love Marcus's uh, never quit yeah. uh, foundation, his never quit logo, his never quit attitude is that I know having met all these Navy SEALs down through the years through JT and, and Marcus and Morgan and, and numerous other guys, I know that they have that never quit attitude that no matter what happens, uh, you know, you, you don't quit, you don't stop. In fact, part of the Navy SEAL creed is no matter how many times I get knocked down, I will get back up every time I'm never out of the fight. That's part of the Navy SEAL creed. And so, I adopted that on my own, even though I was never a Navy SEAL, never been in the military, but I adopted that attitude that no matter what happens in life, 
you can't quit. You've got to keep going. You don't have a choice. And so it, it was part of what happened to me when I was in prison back in the eighties, when I said to myself, you know what, I'm down and I'm out. I lost everything financially, spiritually, emotionally, everything you can lose. I lost, but I said, you know what? That doesn't define me. That's not who Mike Rouse is. Mike Rouse is a, a finisher. And so I got up from that prison experience and I kept going. And so that same thing happened that day is I, I said to myself over and over again, I'm running this 31 laps, 3.1 miles yeah. because of 31 men who gave everything that they had. They died to defend their country. How can I have a hurt knee and quit? Wow. These 31 men died. They gave the ultimate sacrifice. Those 31 families that were left behind will suffer for the rest of their lives, having lost that loved one. How can I quit because my knee hurts? Hmm. It just was not going to be. It wasn't going to be. And so I was able to finish. Oh, amazing. Again, Mike Rouse uh, at Running Rousey on Twitter. And uh, Mike, we just want to thank you for spending some time with us. Again, you're listening to the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of J. Fuller Interviews on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. But Mike, just a few questions for you. And this is okay. um, going back to where you grew up, how you grew up. Did you grow up driven with parents that really motivated you to say you could always overcome or did you grow up kind of on your own? Talk about being a child. What was that framework where you had this uh, or grew into this intense desire to be able to finish whatever you start? Well, you know, Jeff, you, you, uh, you brought, bring up a good point. My dad, uh, was kind of my force. He and I worked in the construction business when I first uh, got out of college. He, he was a custom home builder in Abilene, Texas. And, uh, I grew up, you know, in that world, watching him every day. And so when I graduated from college, uh, I went into partnership with him and we worked together for about 13 years until I got in trouble and went to prison. And during that time he, he retired and, and quit, but, but I saw him on a daily basis and it didn't matter what the situation was. My father never gave up on anything. He, he was a perfectionist. Everything he did was highest of quality. Uh, we prided ourselves on having the, the best homes, um, that we could possibly build for our customers. And so, but I watched him on a daily basis, no matter what the situation was, if it was financial, if it was emotional, if it was work, uh, work related, whatever it was, he gave a hundred percent every single day. And so he was my shining light. He was my example. Hmm. And so going from that, uh, you know, obviously I could say I fell off the wagon uh, when I went through my divorce and went off the deep end. But when I got out, I realized I have to, I have to get back to that resolve that I saw in my father all my life. Hmm. And so he was my pattern and he, he was my example. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, but maybe a more direct question is since or after you got out of prison, what were the temptations of you relapsing or falling off that wagon or how have you been able to not um, fall off or go back to some of those temptations or those addictions? What, what really helps you stay that straight and narrow? You know, Jeff, when I was in prison, probably, I don't remember the exact time frame. probably six months into it. I was in a, a, a group meeting. We, you know, we had these little meetings uh, about narcotics anonymous or, Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'm sitting in a meeting and they brought in this speaker from the outside. 
And when they introduced him, they talked about the fact that this man had spent about uh, 15 years in prison and had been out for, I don't remember, 15 or 20 years and had put his life back together and was on the right track. And so he was going to share with us some of the things that we need to prepare ourselves for when we got out of prison. And I'll never forget, <clears throat> he started off his conversation with us by saying, I've got really good news for you guys, and I've got some really bad news. And I'm going to start off with the good news. The good news is you're all going to parole out of here one day. It may be a, a month from now, maybe a year from now, maybe five years from now. But everybody sitting in this room is going to parole out of prison at some point. The really good news is that when you get out to get your life back together, all you have to do is change one thing. One thing. That's it. And then he paused. And I, and I think we all kind of sat there and thinking, wow, that, that sounds easy. Change one thing, you know. And he said, now here's the really bad news. That one thing that you have to change is everything. Hmm. He said, when you get out, you have to change everything about your life. You can't go back to the same place. You can't go back to the same friends. You can't go back to the same job. Probably everything about your life has to change because whatever you were in, whatever that situation was, that's what got you into the trouble that put you in the penitentiary. So he says, when you get out, you've got to change everything. So it really did kind of hit me upside the head because I thought, wow, changing everything. I was spent all my life in Abilene, Texas. I've spent my entire life in the construction business with my father. I've had the same friends since the day I was born in Abilene, Texas. How do I go back and change all that stuff? And so, you know, as time would tell, you know, you forget about that kind of stuff. And so I, I paroled out, like I said, five, six, seven, eight months later, I get on a, my Greyhound bus. I've got, I come back to Abilene and literally within 48 hours, I was meeting a friend for lunch. And he pulled out a vial of cocaine hmm. and said, Hey Mike, let's celebrate you being home. Wow. And I thought to myself, Oh my God, it immediately came back to me. What that man had told me in prison that was trying to tell me to change everything. Hmm. I cannot be in this place with those friends and get clean. I've got to get away. This guy thought he was being a nice guy celebrating my, my, my return home. But in reality, it was a kick in the stomach to think that that's the potential that I'm looking for if I stay here. So within two weeks, I had packed my bags. My sister and her husband loaned me a car and I moved to Dallas, Texas hmm. and slept on a friend's couch. So I went from having a house on a golf course, a Porsche 911, successful custom home builder to the penitentiary. Now I'm, I'm driving a borrowed car sleeping on a couch and I got no job and no friends. Hmm. And, and that's where I started, but I got a job in the, in the running business in a running store yeah. as, as a greeter <laughs> at the front door. And, and, and the rest was history, but I, I certainly realized what that man had said in prison was absolutely right. In order to change my behavior of being a drug addict, alcoholic, I had to change everything. And I can honestly say February the 27th, uh, in 2021, I will celebrate 35 years of being wow. drug free. Well, congratulations. That's wonderful. And a story that needs to be shared, uh, behind me, there's a picture of David Goggins. He's also an ultra runner. And, uh, this guy, he has more colorful language than probably my mom <laughs> wants me to listen to, but he has quite a phenomenal story. And I heard you also say that you had opportunity to meet him or know him. 
in uh, his book, Can't Hurt Me, he said, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds. You've certainly defied the odds. Talk to me a little bit about some of these races. Um, you shared the number of miles, but what are some of the races <clears throat> that you competed in that now you look back and it's hard to believe that you actually competed, but also finished these races? Well, and I appreciate you showing that picture of Goggins. I love David Goggins. Go I call him Goggy kind of <laughs> as a nickname. Everybody's got a nickname, you know, in the seals. Uh, and it was funny when I was on the podcast with Marcus and Morgan, we were talking about uh, Goggins and I, I said, Goggy. And, and Marcus says, whoa, 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 you called him Goggy? And I said, yeah, I've called him that for years. And he said, you're the only man in the world that can get by with that. Nobody else has the guts to call him anything but David Goggins. <laughs> And I said, you know, that's just who I am. We met in 2004, 2005, somewhere back in there, uh, when he was getting into the ultra world. We did the San Diego one day, which is the 24-hour run. And so we competed against each other. And then in 2000, and I think it was 2006, uh, he did the Ultraman World Championships, which I was also a part of. And so we, uh, we, we were there together. And we raced against each other for three days. Obviously, he... he kick my tail but he uh he, he's quite the man yeah but uh i say all that to say my my favorite race probably in the entire world was the ultraman world championships which i did six times hmm. uh, when i turned 50 i've been doing ultras since 87 this was in 2002 so 15 years i've been doing ultra marathons marathons and and I said, you know, I'm 50 years old now. I'm kind of over the hill as far as being able to be competitive. You know, there's no way I'm going to win a race anymore. I used to win races occasionally. But I said, at 50 years old, you're not going to beat some 28-year-old guy or some 32-year-old guy uh, in a 100-miler or a 50-miler. So how can I do something that's a little bit different, This, this a, a new challenge? And so I never swam a, a stroke in my life, didn't know how to swim. And I hadn't ridden a bicycle since I was a child. And obviously riding a bike as a child, you know, when you're going to school is not like riding a bike in a triathlon. Right. And so I decided I was going to do it. And so I, I went down to, uh, you know, the local tri shop and I got a pair of goggles and a speedo and went down to the pool and jumped in and I could literally couldn't swim across the pool. Couldn't swim 25 meters. <clears throat> And so the, the coach that was there said, call me out, call me over. And he says, young, young man, what are you trying to do? Or mister, what are you trying to do? And I said, well, I, I want to get into triathlon. I'm trying to learn how to swim. And he says, well, that's the worst swimming <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. And so he taught me how to sw a swim, how to breathe. I didn't even know how to breathe. I thought you just held your air as long as you could. And then you raised your head up and exhaled and then gasp again. And you know, obviously that's not how you swim. And so I, I kind of made this decision, you know, to learn how to swim. So I'm at a track workout, you know, this Saturday group that I talked about earlier, uh, a, a few weeks later and McKeeley Jones world champion, one of the greatest triathletes of all time was in this training group. And so we're, we're doing the cool down and she comes running up beside me with this little smile. And she says, so Rousey, I hear that you want to become a triathlete. And I said, yeah, I'm thinking about it, but you know, the swimming thing is really hard for me. Uh, I've never swam in my life. I just, I'm just learning. And she says, well, you know what? I don't think you can do it. And I said, really, you're kidding. And she says, I don't think you have the guts to do it, but here's what I'm willing to do. If you can learn how to swim and you can swim 2000 meters 
without stopping, I'll get you a, a bicycle. I'll go to my brand that you know sponsors me, and I'll get you a, a free bicycle so you can become a triathlete. And I said, you know what, McKeeley, you just talked me into it. So I, I went back and I really worked and worked. I, I did the 2000 meter swim that she called for it. She got me the bike and I got into triathlon. Fast forward a year, uh, I, I entered the Ultraman World Championships and was able to, to finish it. And I actually won my age group. I was the Ultraman World Champion for 50 and over. Hmm. So that's my favorite race. Uh, it's a 6.2 mile swim. 271 mile bike, uh, and then a double marathon wow. over three days. It's, it's pretty intense. My, uh, my wife makes fun of me. She grew up in Michigan. So she grew up swimming and swimming pools and in the lake. And, uh, I am probably the worst swimmer. I can back float the length of a pool, but I, yeah. I can't swim. And I'm glad nobody ever challenged me. Cause I probably would have denied that to, uh, ever attempt a triathlon. You yeah. You shared a story as well about some of your injuries, and one was dealing with your heel. And uh, just, I believe it was a triathlon when you switched from um, swimming to running. Can you share that story again? And with that, talk about your injury. Are you one that you ice down and get massages and do all of this, or do you just kind of know your body and you just go out and run and do these races? You know, Jeff you ask a couple of different questions and I'll, I'll, I'll respond to the second one first. I don't stretch. I don't do any kind of rehab. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't do anything that the normal person does. I, I walk out the door and I run and I come back and I shower and I move go about my business. Uh, and, and I, I never had in my mind, I never have time for stretching. I have time to run. I don't have time to stretch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I've never done any of those kinds of things. Uh, I don't get massages. I don't do, I really don't do anything, but I'm so lucky that I've never really had a running injury other than my falls uh, and some things like that. But I've never had a torn hamstring a torn calf, uh, uh, whatever Achilles injuries. Uh, I, I mean, I'm just very lucky. I've never had any of those kinds of things. Um, but the injury you're talking about actually was in a hundred mile. It wasn't in a triathlon. Oh, well, that was the Mohican trail 100 in 1996. And again, it, it, at that time I was 44 years old. I was very competitive. My goal was to win the race. And so that week it was in the Cleveland national forest, right outside Cleveland, Ohio. So I'd flown into Cleveland on Thursday, Friday morning, uh, went out to the, the, uh, the national park put pitch the tent, put down my sleeping bag and it poured down rain all night long, seven inches of rain. So we got up on that morning, Saturday morning, race started, I think at five, six o'clock, whatever time. And the course was drenched. It was totally soaked. So within the first hundred yards, my feet were already soaking wet. So you can imagine, you know, if you sit in a bathtub for 30 minutes, your feet get soft and wrinkly. Yeah. So you can imagine if your feet are wet, for hour upon hour upon hour, how, how soft and, and wrinkly and, and all your feet get. Right. So probably, I don't remember now exactly 40 or 45 miles into this run. Again, my feet are soaking wet. They're, they're, my shoes are covered in mud. My socks are wet and my, my left foot started hurting really intensely on my heel. 
And every step it got worse and worse and worse, but there wasn't anything I could do about it. So finally about mile 60, it was just so intense. I went into an aid station and I said, is there anybody here, a doctor that can look at my foot? And they said, actually, we have a podiatrist here. And I said, you know, my foot is hurting so bad that it's just, on, it's literally on fire. And so I explained that to the podiatrist. He said, sit on the back of this truck and let me look at it. So I sat down on the tailgate of this truck. He took my shoe and sock off and he looked at it and he goes, oh my gosh, have you looked at your foot? And I said, no, sir, I haven't had my shoes off. I've been running for, you know, 12, 13, 14 hours. And he says, you need to look at the bottom of your foot. He said, I've never seen anything like it. So, you know, I turned my leg up and, and looked at my foot. My bone and the tendons were actually exposed in my heel. Oh. The skin had totally worn off and you could see bone. And I said, doc, what am I going to do? He said, well, actually, there's nothing you can do. I can put a pad on it to kind of semi-protect it. But, you know, and you're talking a, a quarter inch cotton pad what's that going to do it's no better than your shoe or your sock so he said you got one or two choices you can run in pain or you can quit and i said you know i can't quit i'm in i'm in fourth place I, i've got to keep going so i put my shoes and socks back on and i took off and literally for 40 miles my foot was like you had a branding iron on it but i ended up getting third place uh ran it in 19 hours and 28 minutes uh, in, in the mud and in mud and rain and, uh, and got third. So, uh, again, it's one of those never quit stories that no matter how bad you hurt, you can't stop. What did recovery look like for you? When could you actually run again after that injury? It took about six weeks that time. It literally took me six weeks to be able to run. Uh, I, I couldn't hardly walk. Uh, I got crutches uh, just to kind of, you know, take the, you know, the need to, to be on that foot, uh, away. Um, but, uh, it was one of the few times, again, it, I guess you could say it was a running injury, but it, it wasn't a torn muscle. It was just, it was just overuse, uh, in bad, in bad conditions. So share a little bit with me and with the listeners and the viewers, whether it's on the, uh, Jay Fuller interviews on YouTube or the, uh, Google Apple podcast, um, the addiction that you had previously that came from the divorce and just how distraught you were to this addiction of running and just continuing to go forward two, three times a day, sometimes your runs. Um, how, how can you compare the two addictions? Well, the good news and bad news of that, uh, Jeff, I think is that, you know, obviously the cocaine was not, is, is a bad addiction. There's yeah. nothing, nothing good about it. Right. True. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, same could be true of my drinking addiction at the time. Uh, nothing good about that running. Some people would say is an addiction, but at least it is a very positive addiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, it keeps me healthy. I, I literally have not seen a doctor other than this eye situation that I have. I've not seen a doctor in six years other than an annual physical. Sure. Uh, I haven't taken an Advil, uh, it, any kind of medication. I just don't take, I don't take medication. Uh, I let the body heal, heal naturally. Um, some people would say you're very lucky and I agree with that. I am totally lucky. Uh, some of it's probably genetics. Um, but I, 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 I just see my running as an addiction, but it's a very positive addiction because it keeps me healthy. It keeps me fit. Uh, it allows me to eat as much food as I want and stay somewhat slim. Uh, you know, I'm six foot tall, weigh about 145, 150. 
and I probably eat 5,000 calories a day. I, I literally eat five or six meals a day all day long. I just eat, 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 eat. Uh, but the running allows me to do that and, and, you know, maintain a healthy lifestyle. And then this picture behind me, the shadow box behind you, you're running with a purpose and you've teamed up with so many great um, people. Can you just share uh, as we wrap things up and close in a few questions, what that means to you to know that you're bringing inspiration and also helping raise funds for so many families and so many needs that are represented from the military service? Well, that little shadow box uh, that you see in that picture and, and what's behind me here in my house uh, is probably my greatest treasure that I own uh, other than my dog. Uh, I love my dog and my kids and grandkids. But as far as just, you know, something that's tangible to touch, that that could be, it represents so much to me. Uh, it represents, number one, 31 men who paid the ultimate sacrifice. They gave everything that they had for their country and for our freedom. And so that shirt represents 31 for 31 for 31, the American flag, which obviously I hold high esteem. Uh, my buddy that was killed, JT, and numerous other of my Navy SEAL buddies, when they go to Afghanistan, Iraq, wherever they are in the world, they carry an American flag in their back pocket every day. Uh, and it's, that's why it's very hurtful for me when I hear people desecrate the flag, because I know of these men who died for our flag, our country, and who carry it in their, their, in their pockets every day proudly. Mm -hmm. So that flag represents that to me. The shoes that you see there are some of the pair of shoes that I wore during my runs. It's a Navy, uh, not Navy SEAL, but it's American flag shoes, uh, stars and stripes. Um, and then you see dog tags there that represent JT. Uh, those are not actually JT's dog tags, his actual ones, his family has those, but they're replica of his, of his dog tags. And so that represents again, to me, our country, 31 men that paid the ultimate sacrifice. And then for my personal self, it represents 31 days of extremely hard work and effort to give back as best I could. I did it uh, in honor of those guys and also as, as an honor to a charity, the boot campaign. Yeah. And we raised funds. I'm not sure exactly how, what the final tally was somewhere around $20,000 that we raised during those 31 days to the, the boot campaign that goes to guys who are having struggles with depression and PTSD following their, their military careers. Uh, and so, Again, the runs that I do, the Jogging for Frogmen race that we put on every year, we've raised $2.6 million that we've given to the Navy SEAL Foundation, again, to go to those families, because I, I think it's so important for us to honor those that, that, that honor our country. Yeah. Well, especially this week when we celebrate Veterans Day and we're just so fortunate to uh, have the freedom, whether those uh, people choose to protest, we have the freedom in this country exactly. like no other. Uh, a couple fun questions, hopefully. Uh, how many pairs of shoes do you go through in a year? <laughs> yeah, I don't really count that other than I don't. I have 46 pairs in my closet right now. <laughs> uh, but when you're running, you know, 70, 80 miles a week, uh, and I always want a somewhat new pair, you know, because I, I don't want a shoe that's, that's worn out and, and no tread left and, and no cushioning left. So I, I go through a pair about every 250, 300 miles. So each pair lasts about a month. So probably about 12 to 15 pairs a year. 
I go through. So when you are allowed to run again after taking a few uh, days off because of your eye surgery, how many miles do you anticipate you will run in that first run back? Well, the doctor told me on Wednesday I can start on Monday, uh, but he said maximum 5K, 3.1 miles. And I said, that's perfect. You know, the, the, again, the 3-1 three, the three is always dear to me. Yeah. So he said for the first week, 3.1 miles max. If you don't have any issues, uh, you know, it's not bothering the eye. For, you know the, the pounding and the movement he said after that you can run as far as you want so i know that next week starting on monday i'll be running 3.1 for a week each day for a week after that it's katie bar the door it's it's <laughs> it's, it's game on because this body is going to be rested and fueled and totally recovered so i i got a feeling i'll probably run a 40 or 50 miler pretty pretty soon so, Mike, and maybe there is a movie already about you, but uh, if or when that feature film comes out, who plays you in that feature film? <laughs> wow. That's a good one. You know, if there was going to be anybody, uh, I, I'm, I'm betting it would have to be my buddy, Dink Taylor. Okay. Dink is one of my ultra running buddies. We started running together. We actually met at a 100-mile race in Arkansas back in 1996. Uh it was a race called the, the, I'm sorry, 1992. It's called the Arkansas Traveler. It was my first hundred miler and we ran side by side or backwards and forwards. We, I would pass him, he would pass me. I would pass him, he'd pass me. Casey would run together. But during that hundred miles, you talked about a little bit of everything. And obviously we spent probably 10 hours running in pro close proximity to each other and became very close friends. Well, Dink owns a couple of running stores in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, he owns a couple of Fleet Feet stores, he and his wife, Suzanne. And Dink and I are very, very dear friends now. We compete against each other for fun, uh, just because you know we like to make fun of the other guy. But Dink is the guy who's been running ultras for 35, 40 years like me. And so if anybody was ever gonna play me, it would probably be Dink Taylor. Oh, that's good, that's good. And, and he's not an actor, but he could do the run portion. Oh, that's you know, I, I wouldn't want anybody faking it. <laughs> that's a fact. Uh, two questions and then we'll let you go. Mike Rouse makes up time. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of the show and My telling honor. the story. And uh, part of your story that's so fascinating for me, I'm not sure if you're aware, but full time I'm a pastor. And so we've seen people uh, struggle with addiction, make it through, but also some that just relapse and they just feel like uh, they can't get through. For those that are struggling with addiction, what advice would you tell them of really giving up that one thing, which is everything? You know, Jeff, I, I'm glad you asked that question because part of my sobriety from, from drugs and alcohol was based upon my, my, my spiritual growth. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My mother and father, we, we spent more time at church than we did at home. Um, my cousin, actually, he's a cousin-in-law but we claim each other as cousins is a guy you've probably heard of Rick Warren. <laughs> yeah. Rick, Rick, Rick is, Rick is married to my cousin Kay. And like I say, we call each other cousin. Uh, and I claim him. I love him dearly. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to speak at Saddleback, uh, hmm. back in the nineties where after I'd been out of prison for a few years, he asked me to come and speak. Uh, and it, 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 I mean, it was unbelievable to be able to speak in his church. But uh, one thing that I would, I would say to anybody that struggles with addiction, 
we we had a sermon uh, a few weeks ago at my church here in in, in Texas uh, about addiction, and the guy said, you know, there's one addiction that you can grab onto and hold on to it forever. It's the greatest addiction in the world, and that's being addicted to Jesus. Hmm. Because he said, when you're addicted to Jesus, everything works itself out. And so I thought that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. People, I can say I'm addicted to running, but my addiction to Jesus far outweighs anything else. And it's what truly saved my life. It's what gave me my life back because Christ died for me. Those 31 guys gave their life for this country. Christ died for everyone. Yeah. And so my addiction to Christ is what keeps me going. That's so good. Um, I probably should end there, but I'm just going to ask one more question. Um, for those that feel as though they should get off the couch and start running, and we have the excuses of Vermont, well, we just had snow, or it's too cold, or I'm too lazy, or I can't make it 100 yards because my heart's feeling like it's falling out of my, my chest. What advice would you give to them? Start. It's all about the start. I, I mean, when I went out in that prison yard that day, uh, Jeff, like I said, I, I thought, you know, I'm an athlete. I can go run two miles. Doesn't sound like much. And I couldn't make it one lap. I couldn't make it one lap without walking. But, but I persevered and I kept on. So I, I can assure you, if you're overweight, if you've never run in your life, if you're not an athlete, whatever your excuse might be, you can walk. I, I guarantee you, everybody can walk, right? You can't get to your car. You can't get to the refrigerator. You can't get to the bathroom without walking. Yeah. Our bodies were meant to walk. And so start off walking and walk. And if you can run, run a little bit, even if it's 10 yards or 15 yards and, and kind of let your heart get into a rhythm, but you got to start somewhere. And so just like me, starting on that track in that penitentiary, walk out the front door. You may be cold for 15 minutes, but I guarantee you it's going to warm your heart. <laughs> it's going to warm your heart. Well, there's a sermon in there as well. So just start. But Mike, we thank you so much for making the time. Truly a privilege and an honor for me. And uh, we wish you all the best. We continue to lift you up in our in our thoughts and prayers and just ask for Jesus healing on your eye. And just thank as you. You get back to running that you just experience his creation in a very special way. So Mike, thanks so much. Thank you, Jeff. It's been an honor to be with you and glad, glad that our paths have crossed and we'll, we'll maintain this friendship. Oh, certainly. So fortunate. Again, that's Mike Rouse making some time. Jay Fuller interviews. You can find my information at YouTube. Uh, join the Facebook group, Instagram and Twitter, Jay Fuller interviews and all the podcast channels, Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes as the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller interviews. We thank you so much for making the time. We wish you all the best. Make the time to listen to someone's story, to learn from them, and to understand that there is more, more for you. And uh, we thank you again for joining us today.